All right, Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 16 through 18. I'm going to talk today about closing the discipleship gap. Closing the discipleship gap, and I want to begin reading where we started last week. The Bible says, as Jesus was walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, he noticed two brothers fishing, Simon and Andrew. And he watched them as they were casting their nets into the sea, and he said to them, come and follow me, and I'm going to transform you into men who catch people instead of fish. Immediately, the Bible says, in verse 18, they dropped their nets, they left everything behind, and they began to follow Jesus. I shared with you that sometimes we read over this passage, but it's really stunning, because right now we have a global movement of Jesus' followers happening all over the planet. How many know the gospel's spreading like wildfire? Uh, there's billions of people on planet Earth that are lovers of Jesus. There's nations that are um, experiencing a great move of God right now. We're, we have the privilege of being uh, partnership with, with many of these countries. Um, and uh, there's this unstoppable force where Jesus Christ is saving and healing and setting people free all across the globe. The question is, how did this movement happen? And the stunning answer is it happened by one man, Jesus, uh, walking along the shore and talking to a couple of normal fishermen and inviting them to partner with him and to join him in his mission to take over planet Earth. That was the beginning of this global movement that has touched billions of people across the, the globe. And I shared this morning, it's amazing to me that only Jesus is so awesome and so powerful, and we sang about him this morning, that he has the power, irregardless of the culture, the language, the traditions, whatever, Jesus Christ has the power to save any person on planet Earth, no matter wh what nation you come from or what language you speak, because he is so awesome. That's the, that's the sheer awesomeness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I share with you that this verse opened up to us a simple definition of what a disciple is, and we highlighted that last week. I just want to review quickly if you weren't with us last Sunday. But disciples, first of all, are followers. They're people that are, that are on a movement after Jesus Christ. I share with you that following is an action word. You can't, there's nothing passive about the gospel. I hope you know that. There's nothing passive. Um, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we're, we join the movement. We're pursuing a person. We're pursuing the man Christ Jesus to know him and to be known by him. Secondly, we said, is that Jesus promises to transform us. He says, follow me, and I'm going to make you into something that you're not. Aren't you grateful that we all came to Christ a mess, in bondage, you know, uh, broken, hurt, wounded, uh, twisted in our thinking? And how many of you know the good news of the gospel is it doesn't matter how we came to Christ, he has the absolute power to change us and transform us. That's the truth of the gospel. And, I, and it's also the hope of the gospel. Sometimes you'll run into people and they'll say, you know, pastor, I've been dealing with this problem for this many years. Or, or, or we get confronted with our sin and our brokenness. And we ask this question because we know ourselves so well. Maybe you've been there. Is it really possible for me to experience the change that I so desperately long for? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. In fact, when you follow Jesus, the promise is he's going to make you into someone that you currently are not. Which means, check this out, if you're a Christian, you need to embrace change. You need to love it. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I love change. All right? Even if you're lying, just tell them that. All right? I love change. I love it. I love it. Amra, I love it. Because check this out. <laughs> Some of you are like, Lord, forgive me for lying right now. <laughs> but here's the deal. What's the secret to a great relationship? Change. 
People that dig their heels in. I ain't changing this. You got This is who you marry. Take it or leave it. That ain't going to work very well. Change. What happens in our relationship with Jesus? Change. I told somebody this morning, told, talk to Ron. I said, Ron, I'm glad that you're here. This is a spiritual greenhouse. God wants to change us into the image of Jesus. We're going to talk about this next week. In fact, I, I wanted to throw this little nugget out to you. How many of you know, some people think when you get saved, you stop changing because all of a sudden, I've heard this talk before, all of a sudden you're perfect. <laughs> no, you're not. When you go to heaven, you're not perfect. You're just sinless. But there's a difference between sinlessness and perfection because perfection deals with positive things. How many know you're going to keep learning? You're going to keep growing. You're going to keep experiencing new things. You're going to keep using your gifts for the glory of God. We're not going to be bored in heaven, and we're not going to be stagnant. We're not going to be laying in some holy hammock, sipping lemonade, going, wow, I'm just chilling. (laughs) This is taking a long time to just lay here chilling. No, we're going to be doing incredible things because we're going to constantly be being transformed. It's really exciting. It means that we never have to go, oh, yeah, I know him, I know her. No, we don't even know the people in this room as well as we could possibly know them because there's so much hidden in us. Well, guess what's going to happen throughout eternity? We're going to constantly experience the transforming power of Jesus. It's going to be awesome. And guess what's going to happen in this life? You're going to experience constantly the transforming power of Jesus. Or you're not following him. Let me give you a little hint. If you stop growing, you stop walking. If you feel stuck, you stop moving. Jesus did not stop moving. He's still moving. Our job is to stay with him. If we're stuck, it's just a sign that we've stopped pursuing Christ in some area of our life. Or how about this? This is the greatest oxymoron of all times. No, Lord. No, Lord. How many of you know the word no and the word Lord never should be used in the same sentence? Because if he's Lord... And he asks you to do something, no is never the proper response. So as soon as you say, no, Lord, you're stuck. And some of you might be stuck or there might be some issues in your life where God's trying to push you farther and you, and you put up the, the brakes and guess what? You stop growing. Make sure that you're growing. Make sure that your faith is vibrant. Make sure that you're excited. Make sure your passion level for God is strong. This is important because here's why. Disciples follow Jesus. Disciples are transformed by Jesus. And the third thing, disciples join Jesus on his mission. This is huge. And what I share with you is is as we're looking at what's going on in our nation today and the church in America, how many of you know this model here that Jesus gave us is broken in in the church in America? Uh, Because of what I'm about to share with you next. I believe we have what I'm calling the myth of multi-level Christianity, all right? Multi-level Christianity. Follow along with me and tell me if this is not the way most Americans view uh, their their Christian faith. Okay, we have believers, what are, who are believers? Believers are people that do the old thumbs up when you ask them, hey, do you know Christ? I'm good to go. Good to go where? Right? Where, where are they good to go to? Okay, so their eternal destination has been taken care of. Good to go. Good to go. Well, what does that really mean? Well, it means that they believe in their head certain truths about God, that they said, yes, I affirm that Jesus is the Son of God, I affirm that the Bible is the Word of God. I affirm that the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And I yield my life. I, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. Boom! Got my, you know, my, uh, my punch punched, or my ticket punched. Good to go, baby. Good to go. And then you have another group of people 
Let's look at them. They're the disciples. Disciples are optional extra credit people who are really spiritual overachievers. You all know those people. Some of you went to school with these people. They had to get perfect scores, perfect grades, perfect, 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 and you're like, you were the kind of person that said, I just want to pass, all right? I just want to survive. And then you got these spiritual overachievers. They're the ones that on their ticket to get on the plane to go to heaven, they have a gold star, all right? Maybe multiple gold stars because they're spiritual overachievers. They're the Bible memorizers. They're the Sunday school workers. They're the people that, you know, uh, go to all the extra meetings at the church. They're spiritual overachievers. But most of us aren't really called to be spiritual overachievers. And then we got the third category, the disciple makers. Now, the disciple makers, that's not the stuff pastors. They're, they're staff pastors, all right? Um, these, are, these are pastors. <laughs> that was a typo. These are pastors and church workers, and like professional types. These are religious folks that do this stuff for a living and get, maybe get a paycheck. So we got run-of-the-mill believers, then we got spiritual overachievers, and then we got pastoral types. And if you ask most people, like if you went up on the street and just interviewed 100 people today after church, and you said, okay, which religion do you identify with? And maybe you even put none as an option. I still believe the vast majority of people would identify themselves as Christians, all right? We're, I'm a Christian. I'm good to go. Punched, got the thing punched, got my ticket. Good to go, baby. Good to go. Going to heaven someday. They're certainly not disciples, and they're certainly not disciple makers. And yet what I tried to share with you last week is there's only one designation of people that are going to be in heaven. Disciples. Followers of Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, making disciples of other people because they're on mission with Jesus. That's the only crew that's there. There's not hierarchies. It's not like multi-level marketing. It's not like a, a hierarchy, uh, you know, hierarchy of titles, like run-of-the-mill Christians, super saints, overachievers, no, underachievers. No, 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 no. It's just simple followers of Jesus Christ. But I wonder if in our culture today, we haven't preached a bad theology here. You know, I've said this before that and, and bear with me, it's, it's big theological language, but uh, it's really simple. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Orthodoxy simply means good doctrine produces good behavior, good lifestyle. If you believe in this multi-level uh, understanding of what it means to be a Christian, most of us will check out, we'll settle for the least, we'll settle for the course of least resistance, and we will not be followers of Jesus the way he called us to. And I wonder if the problem with the church in America today, why we, why we have so many numbers but have so little power and so little influence, is because we have so many people who have really adopted this very bad theology about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I like what Dallas Willard said. He said, we have reduced life with God to what he calls a barcode faith. You know, we were getting on an airplane uh, to fly to Orlando and back, and you know how the deal works. You get your boarding pass, and on one end of your boarding pass, there's a barcode, and the way it works now, you just walk up and stick that barcode, or if you're, if you're really high-tech, you'll just take your phone with the boarding pass on your phone, and you put that barcode under the little reader there, and it makes a nice little ding or whatever, and you're good to go. You're getting on the plane. Well, Dallas Willard said, we've reduced life with God to a barcode faith, 
wherein simply by our verbal confession we exchange our sins for Christ's righteousness and thereby we acquire our ticket to heaven when this life is over. But he goes on to say it's now understood that to be a part of the good news that one does not have to be a life student of Jesus in order to be a Christian. In other words, we can just get the barcode. As long as we got the barcode, it doesn't matter how we live our life. It doesn't matter what we do with our lives. It doesn't matter whether we're pursuing Jesus with our lives. As long as we've got the boarding pass with the barcode, ding, we can get on the plane. We're good to go. But the gospel we preach, I'm telling you, is going to determine the kind of disciples that we make. And I want to make sure here at Living Stones we get this thing right. I don't want, you know, there's lots of churches in America that have been successful in gathering people that are a mile wide and an eighth of an inch deep. And I don't think Jesus is impressed with sheer numbers. Remember when Jesus just got done feeding the multitudes? He had numbers. When Jesus performed the miracles, he had numbers. And then he preached this message that Pastor Aaron preached. Oh, if you're going to be my follower, you have to deny everything. Pick up your cross, follow me. And by the way, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remember John chapter 6? And as soon as he preached that message, the Bible says half the people just said, okay, that was nice, see ya. Uh, They decided to head off. How many of you know we we don't want those kind of folks following Jesus? We, We want people that are all in. We want people that are genuine disciples, that are pursuing the Lord. And so here's the deal. I shared last Sunday that conversion, when you're born again, it should naturally lead to a lifestyle of a disciple and disciple maker. In other words, check this out. As soon as you encounter Jesus, something changes on the inside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I prayed with a man this morning, got radically saved. It was awesome. Because you know what? Things broke. He, he, he was wide open to receive God. It was awesome. I love it when that happens. But something supernatural happens, and guess what? You have a desire to know Christ that you never had before. Am I talking to the right crowd? You have a, a, a hunger. You have an appetite that you never had before because it's supernatural. And guess what happens? As soon as you're born again, uh, you automatically have one thing, no matter how soon you are born again, one thing you automatically have, you have a testimony. You might not know any, any verses in the Bible, but guess what you have as soon as you're saved? You can tell somebody what just happened to you. Now, you're going to learn where all the verses go, and you're going to learn how all the puzzle pieces fit together later, but what you have instantly is a testimony. And guess what that testimony does? It invites other people to join you on the mission. You might not have the mission figured out yet. You might not know your spiritual gifts. You might not know the Romans road. You might not know whatever, but the point is you must know you've been transformed by Jesus. Does that make sense? So you're converted, you're pursuing, and you're sharing what you've had with other people. And as you do that and you join Jesus on the mission, guess what happens? It's like a beautiful cycle. You encounter more of God. You experience more of his goodness. Uh, you, you begin to pursue him more because you're more in love with him. Uh, you're walking through the ups and downs and the ins and outs, but you're after the Lord. And in the process, God's using you to impact many, many people. Let me just say this. That's the, one of the most exciting, exciting lives we could ever be invited to. People that say that they're bored at church or bored with Christ are people that have stopped joining Christ on his mission. There's nothing boring about pursuing Christ in his plan to redeem a lost and fallen planet. In fact, it's incredibly exciting. There's nothing boring about obeying God with your resources, your time, your talent, your treasures, and having to walk and live in a life of faith. It's amazingly exciting, but the problem is we mess it up. Now, I want to share with you a little twist today that will maybe help you out. When Jesus said, come and follow me, to me, 
in our culture today, it almost sounds like he's inviting these guys to go on a little walk with him. I could imagine maybe they're saying, you know, hey, where are we going? I don't know, but Jesus is kind of an interesting guy. Let's go along for the ride, all right? And we think that this invitation is, is just like to go on this journey, follow Christ. We're not sure where he's going, but hey, let's just go around and check it out. But the Bible gives us lots of metaphors that describe the church because the church and God's people, God's disciples, all right, uh, those on mission with him are so amazing that he doesn't limit it to one metaphor. He gives us lots of metaphors. For instance, he calls us the family of God, doesn't he? Because we're a family in Christ. He calls us the body of Christ because we all have different gifts. We all work together. He calls us living stones because God's taken us as living bricks and mortar and puts us into this building where he inhabits us. There's lots and lots of metaphors, but how many of you know the metaphor that is the strongest, I believe, and it goes from Genesis to Revelation, is the metaphor of being the bride of Christ. It's a marriage metaphor. You start in Genesis, you go all the way to Revelation, and you see over and over again God referring to his people as a bride, all right, his bride. And it's important that we understand the language of covenant. Pastor Aaron talked about it in communion today. Ephesians 5.32 says this, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Christ and the church are one. God's trying to teach us about what it means to be a disciple by talking to us as if we're his bride. And I want to unpackage that in just a moment. You know, a covenant is a special relationship. It's the deepest, most intimate, most enduring relationship that we know on planet Earth. The parties formally commit themselves to each other. It's marked by mutual trust and full surrender. And so here's what I want you to see. What if we said this, and I want to just change the, the metaphor this morning. Jesus came up to his disciples there on the beach, and instead of saying, follow me, he asked this question, will you marry me? Now, we get all weirded out because of the gender issue and all that kind of stuff, but take the gender issue out of it. We're his bride. Followers of Jesus are in a covenant relationship with him. What if he came up to you and he asked you, are you willing to make covenant with me? Not to go on a walk in the park. Are you willing to make covenant with me? I mean, this changes the whole game. Because when I made covenant with my wife, I remember that, number one, there was a process where I was courting her. Are you with me? That's kind of an old-fashioned word, but I'll I'll put it in nowadays language. I was chasing her down. I was pursuing her. I was in white-hot pursuit. Now, I'm going to date myself here this morning. That was in the days when there was no such thing as a cell phone. So long-distance calls, are you guys ready for this? It costs money. And my dad said, you can talk to her one day a week for this amount of time. Now we can take out our phones and talk to somebody on the other side of the world for free and look him in the face. You know, the Lord probably knew what he was doing because I probably couldn't have handled that. But I, every time I would get to talk to her for one, one day of the week for a certain amount of time, I was so, so excited. I was pursuing her heart. But here's something else that I had to do, which seems archaic. The only way to communicate was through letters. So I wrote her a letter every day. She has boxes of letters don't you? I was pursuing her. Now, what would happen if we stood here at the altar? Come on, come on. What would happen if we stood here at the altar on our wedding day? And what, what, I love this part of the wedding ceremony. 
because you have this bride and this groom. They're looking into each other's eyes. And what are they doing? They're giving their vows. Now, I always encourage people. I love it when people write their own vows. But I, I encourage you, don't write your vows like you're a sixth grader sending a love note. You know, we don't want to hear how much you love this person and how special they are. That, that was for outside of this moment. What this moment is about is you pledging to give yourself and your entirety to another person for the rest of your life through sickness and in health for richer or poorer. How I many you know this is like an all-in proposition? You're giving all of you to all of them. And what do you expect them to do back? Now, again, we're the bride, okay? So when Mary is standing there, and I'm saying, I vow to do this. I vow to love you. I vow to, to be a leader, spiritual leader. I vow to, to love you in sickness and health, whatever it takes. We're in covenant together. Now, she's the bride, so here's what she's doing. She's taking my name as her own name, which means she's giving her life to me. Our lives are melding together and becoming one. She also has said this to me, which I love about my wife, because there's been many times in our journey together where we said, all right, Lord, what do you want to do, and where do you want us to go, and all that kind of thing, and, and her response all the time is, baby, I'm with you. Wherever you're going, I'm going. Whatever God calls you to do, I'm with you. Uh, whether it's easy, hard, doesn't matter if God's called it, I'm with you. How many of you know that's what it means to be saved? If she would come to the altar and I said, Oh, I, lo I love you. I pledge myself to you. On and on and on and on and on. And she looks at me and she goes, cool. <laughs> awesome. And then she turns and walks down the aisle and heads out to her car. I mean, you know, we didn't have a marriage. We, we just had a mess. We just had a train wreck. Or, honey, I pledge to give myself to you too. Not all of me, but an installment plan. I'm going to give you... 10% down for the first 10 years, and then I'll see if you're worthy of my trust, and, and I, you know, for the remain, you know. I mean, you know, marriages, when you come together, you're, I'm give, she's getting all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and she's pledging uh, to give all of herself to me. Do you know that salvation is the same? Our what are the promises of God in the Bible? What are they? Let me tell you what they are. They're God's vow to us. I pledge to do the following. What is the public display of our coming together as husband and wife as it relates to salvation? I'll tell you what it is. It's water baptism. When you are buried with Christ and you come out of the waters and we're all watching, what you're saying to all of us is, I am yielding my entire life to Jesus. My life is no longer mine. I died. I now belong to Christ. Baptism is a public display of the covenant that you just made with God. So how is it that we got this crazy understanding that somehow we can do this installment plan, multi-level Christianity, when, when from the very beginning Jesus is saying, will you make covenant with me? Will you be my bride? Will you take on my name? Will you take on my mission? Will you allow my love to transform you? You know, I love this again. If I would have told Marion after the first time she corrected me as newlyweds, and you know our wives do that, guys, they're trying to help us out, they're, they're correct us. If I would have said, hey, you married me, love me as I am, accept me as I am, this is what you get, and I'm not changing. I mean, you know, we're in for a really miserable marriage. 
Because the purpose of our communion together is we love each other to life and we change each other. She has made me a better person because of her love for me and I have made her a better woman because of my love for her. We're constantly being changed by each other's love. It's the same thing in our relationship with Jesus, only he's doing the changing, we're not changing him, all right? But he's changing me. So what is it? I yield to him. I love him. I follow him. And check this out. I follow him in the good times and I follow him in the hard times. It doesn't change my devotion to him. But here's the problem, and tell me if this is not the case. Most of us, we live with a gap. And here's the gap. The gap is the difference between what I know in my head and what I experience in my heart. Anybody have some gaps in your life? I can say, man, I want to, you know, Jesus, I want to love you passionately. And then I wake up tomorrow and I feel like God's a million miles away and I'm facing all kinds of challenges and I'm like, "Mm, I know it up here, but I can't seem to get it right here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I want to talk to you about that gap that exists in our call to be disciples because we get it up here but many times the gap between how I'm living and what Jesus has called me to is a wide gap and I just want to encourage all of you here today we're all at different points on this journey some of you might not even know the Lord yet but you're here this morning well I'm glad that you're here and the Lord's glad that you're here we're glad that you're here some of you might be new believers some of you might have been serving the Lord for many years some of you might be going through a valley right now some of you might be on the mountaintop right now we're all at different places but here's the point Our goal through life should be to close the gap between what we know and what we experience and live. How many of you know the gap is is just our own hypocrisy between what we know to be true and and our failure to live it? So here's here's the deal. Anybody that's ever said, I don't go to church, they're all hypocrites? You should say, you're exactly right. And so are you. And so is everybody that's ever opened their mouth and breathed air. All that we have on planet Earth are hypocrites. What we're trying to do is live to the degree that we know we should be living. And guess what? That's called the gap. So Jesus is going to close the gap over time to bring us closer and closer to him so that what we know to be true, we're actually experiencing to be true. That's what it means to follow him in discipleship. Now take a look at the gap I'm talking about here for discipleship. How many of you have realized that when we read the Bible, it has different messages? Sometimes you read one verse and it says one thing and you read another verse and it says what seems like the opposite. I'm going to give you some examples. How many of you realize we have been called to experience the extravagant grace of God? And on the other hand, we've been called to radical discipleship. Now let me tell you why those don't seem to harmonize. It's like, it's like if you're trying to listen to two different genres of music in your car, some, somebody in the back seat's got country music on, somebody in the front seat's playing hip-hop, and you're driving down the road, how many of you know that's not going to be a pretty thing? All right? Because you've got two different harmonies happening, and the goal is to make them come into one melody that sounds beautiful. Here's the two different harmonies that we have to deal with in the body of Christ. First of all, the melody of grace. Grace says God loves you unconditionally. Can I get an amen on that one? God loves us just as we are, and he asks nothing from us. Can I get an amen on that? In other words, he tells us, what is my work to do? Just believe the gospel. Hallelujah. And then he tells us, rest. He says, you know what? Jesus did it all. It is finished. Rest. This is great news, isn't it? It means if you came here today... The good news of the gospel is you don't contribute anything to your salvation except your willingness to say help and to, and to let God save you, justify you, forgive you. Isn't forgiveness great? God, what do I have to do to earn my forgiveness? Ask. 
God says he'll be with you to the end of the earth, that, he, that he's for you, not against you, that you're an overcomer. He gives you a whole new identity. He loves you. He pours his grace and mercy out on you. He loves you just the way that you are. And nothing, how many of you know you're forgiven in the past, you're forgiven in the present, you're forgiven in the future? Isn't this amazing? The cross has covered it all. It is finished. What does God say to do? Relax, rest, enjoy the extravagant grace of God. In fact, you guys have that song. This is another one of my favorite songs. Uh, we sang one of them this morning, You Make Me Brave. But how about this little song right here? Can you blast that song? Mercy me. Come on. Oh, come on. Just worship a little bit right now. Mm -hmm. Cross. The cross has made me flawless. Hallelujah. All right. Mercy me. Get out of my message. You're taking too much time. All right, here's the deal. I could listen to that song and have listened to that song for an entire part of my journey. I mean like for an hour straight because it just has this wonderful melody to it. It catches my heart. The cross has made us flawless. Isn't that amazing? How many of you know you'll never be a good disciple until you get healed by the amazing grace of God? It's awesome. And the reason we call it amazing is because it's stunning. It's stunningly good news. But here, I'm going to just push the other side. Uh, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amazing Grace says, you know what? Jesus wants to lift the burden. He wants to bring you into a lifestyle where you can get healed, you can exhale, you can relax. The stress goes, the, the torment goes, the chains go, your heart gets healed, and you just exhale. Everybody thank God for grace right now, huh? A little bit of exhale for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Just let it all. Ah. It's like a big spiritual vacation. It's awesome. Grace is the father that's running to meet the son who's been out living a, a horrid life. God runs out and meets him, hugs him. That's grace. But here's the problem with grace. Dallas Willard hit the nail on the head. He says, we've not only been saved by grace, but we've been paralyzed by grace. The message in America is the exclusive uh, harmony of extravagant grace, extravagant grace, extravagant grace. And the problem with that message is that message is only one part of the message. And what I found to be true, and maybe you can experience this with me, is I have run into people pastorally. I've, run, I've dealt with it in my own life. But here's the deal. If we teach you good theology about justification, which means because of what Jesus did on the cross, he has paid for your sins. It is finished, your past, your present, your future. That's good news. That puts you in right standing with God. None of that changes. But here's the problem. When all you hear is God is good, God is wonderful, God loves me, unconditional grace, forgiven, free, hallelujah, mercy, mercy, mercy. Um, this is the way it translates when you're in my office. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do, uh, uh, do that to that person. No, you can't break that covenant. No, um, but pastor, I'm just going to have to trust that in the end, the grace of God's going to cover it all. You're going to willingly choose to violate what God's clearly told you is wrong. You're going to do that, and you're banking on grace to pay the bill when you're standing before God someday. Okay, so even when it comes, Pastor Dick was saying, pleading with somebody, getting ready to go into an abortion clinic, please don't do that. 
this is a believer who said, I'm just going to have to trust that in the end, it's all going to come out okay and God's going to forgive me. Now, that is a misuse of grace. Right. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Because grace gives us the power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And here's the problem. If all you're doing is turning up the volume on grace in your car to where it's blaring, grace, um, two things are going to happen. Number one, you get paralyzed because basically all you're hearing is it doesn't matter what I do. I'm just, I'm just the grace of God covers it. So you're paralyzed. You're not moving forward. And number two, if you're not careful, you fall into incredible compromise in sin. Because you treat God's mercy and grace as if it's like a credit card to go out and run it up as far as you can. Uh, and then in some way, it glorifies God. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great uh, theologian during the Nazi reign, uh, you know, it's interesting, Bonhoeffer had a chance to escape. In fact, he did escape from Germany when it started getting hot and came to the United States. He could have lived here very comfortably. But he said, you know, I need to go back as a spiritual leader, and I need to minister to the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ because someone needs to preach the gospel and call them uh, out of the compromise of the Nazi uh, you know, nightmare and call them to righteousness. He went back, he was imprisoned, it ended up costing him his life. He was actually uh, hanged with uh, piano wire um, and, uh, and died in that Nazi camp. But he wrote something um, that was powerful and he talked about cheap grace. And this is what he said about cheap grace. He said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace means preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It means grace without discipleship. It means grace without the cross. Notice, what, I want to highlight this point. When we tell people that you're forgiven, but you never repent, we lie to you. Because repentance means you're not going to keep living the way that you're living. And that you acknowledge that it's wrong and you do an about face. Now, here's the good news. When you genuinely repent, the mercy and grace of God comes rolling over you like a flood. And here's the good news. There's not one sin you and I will ever commit that is beyond the mercy and grace of God. But listen, what releases that flow of, of, of grace? Repentance. It's our recognition that what I'm doing is wrong and sinful and breaks God's heart and breaks my heart and hurts people. And I say, I don't want to live this way anymore. God, forgive me. And then, boom, forgiveness is released. But when we tell people, oh, forgive, forgive, God, forgive, and there's no change of lifestyle, we lie to them. Because there's no provision for unrepentant sin. You pay the price for sin. We always pay the price for our sin. Bonhoeffer said this, the only man who has a right to say he's justified by grace alone is the man who has left all to follow Jesus Christ. He said Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Because here's what happened. When you turn extravagant grace, the volume up on that, to where all you're hearing is extravagant grace without the call to radical discipleship, then we use grace as an excuse for the demands of radical discipleship. And we misuse grace, and we end up forfeiting, actually forfeiting grace that is ours. So we can't do that. So let's go to the other volume. The other volume that we want to turn up is the melody of radical discipleship. The gospel of radical discipleship says this, try harder, pray harder, serve more, read more, be more sold out. Come on, let's go hard after God. How many of you have ever been in those seasons of your life? Now let me just tell you, that's a volume that if you turn up all the way will kill you. I've been there. 
I've been through seasons of great zeal for God, but how many of you know there's zeal for God that does not come out of the Holy Spirit? It's human zeal. And so what we tell people is, come on, if you're going to be saved and you're going to follow God, then you need to do it with all your heart. So how much are you reading the Bible? I'm, I spend the first you know, five minutes of my day reading the Bible. Oh, you need to spend at least an hour. How much are you praying? How long are you praying? Where are you praying? You need to get up. What time are you praying? Are you getting up well before the sun rises to pray? You know, I remember a season when we had one of our spiritual fathers who was big on holiness, and he was saying, you should have a holy burn in your eyes because you get up so early every morning to seek God before the sun rises because you're going hard after God, and the burn that you feel in your eyes should be a sign of your you know, devotion for God. I tried that for about a week. I started getting headaches. I wasn't feeling very spiritual. My eyes were hurting. And how about this one? If you really want to be hardcore, radical disciple, fast, 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 fast some more. Can I just confess to you as a shepherd? I hate fasting. I love food. But here the other side. Fasting is an important part of our walk with God. Because we have to be able to push legitimate pleasures away to get maximum pleasure in God. We have to make sure food's not controlling us. You with me? So we got this military side of the gospel. And I want to share some verses with you just to balance this out. We could give lots of verses on grace, but I want you to look at a two-letter word in these passages, and I want you to identify it for me when you see it. It starts with the letter I, and it ends with the letter F, all right? I mean, I gave you some help. John 14, 15, there it is. What does it say? If you love me, then what? Now, obedience does not save us, but obedience is a sign that we've been saved. You know, sometimes we've all had our children come up to us, they snuggle with us, they climb on our lap, daddy this, daddy that. You know it's a con game going on. They tell you how much they love you. And what I want to say is, have you cleaned your room yet? Because I don't care how much snuggle time on daddy's lap Did you take the garbage out like I asked you for the 14th time two hours ago? In other words, love needs to have some content to it. And one of the ways that you demonstrate you love your parents is you honor them and you obey them. How much more the Lord? Look at the next one, John 15, 14. Then he said to the crowd, say it with me, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up, I'm sorry, that was the wrong verse. That was Luke 9, 23. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. How many of you want to be a friend of God? Let me just tell you something. Jesus does not have any disobedient friends. Part of friendship means that you're joining him on mission and you're listening to him. All right? Take a look at Luke 9, 23. Then he said to the crowd, there it is again, say it. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your way, take up my cross daily, and follow me. Now, I could give you verse after verse after verse after verse, but here's the point. There's, there's extravagant grace, and it's balanced out with the call of radical discipleship. And I'm asking you, how do, the, how do we keep these two melodies on full volume, because we're not to tone either one of them down, but make sure that they harmonize together in our lives in a way that makes beautiful music. That's, that's the challenge before us. 
See, the gospel of extravagant grace requires nothing from us, and the gospel of radical discipleship demands everything from us. So I'm asking this question today. Is it nothing, or is it everything? And let me give you the answer. Yes. Now that you're more thoroughly confused, let me keep moving ahead. Here's the challenge. The call to be radical often leaves us spiritually exhausted, while the call to be ordinary leaves us feeling apathetic and impotent. So again, is Jesus inviting us to come and die, or is he inviting us to come and rest? The answer is yes. (laughs) Extravagant grace and radical discipleship come together like two mighty rivers in the person of Jesus Christ himself. These two melodies meet in perfect harmony in Christ. In fact, listen to this line. It's a good one. The work for Christ, I'm sorry, the work of Christ for us, which is grace, can never be separated from the work of Christ in us, which is the call to radical discipleship. Both of them go together in Christ. This is important. Write this down. You are in Christ, which is extravagant grace, but Christ is in you, which means you've been called to radical discipleship. Isn't that good? So here's what we need to stop doing. When Jesus calls us to be disciples, it's an invitation to covenant. He's saying, will you marry me? Will you join your life with my life? Will you lay your life down and become mine, all of you? And our response is, Lord, take everything, right? Well, sometimes. In fact, I want to challenge some of us here this morning. I don't know how you came into the kingdom of God, but how you came in is very important because you can think you got in or think you had your ticket punched or think the barcode is ready to be scanned and you've completely missed the essence of what we're talking about, which is the complete surrender of your life to Jesus the allowing of him to transform and make you into somebody new and the willingness to lock hands with him and with your brothers and sisters and to give your life joining Christ on the mission that he's about in this world, which is seeking and saving lost and broken people and redeeming this planet. I mean, that's the mission. And none of those things are optional. They're all part of it. So check this out. Extravagant grace. I want to sing that melody. No matter who you are, How far are you fallen from God? Where you're at today? Here's the good news. There's a gracious God whose arms are extended who will chase you down like a daddy. Chase you down in your sin, in your brokenness, in your shame, and he will absolutely restore you to his heart because that's the amazing goodness of God. And you know what? We need to be turning the volume up on extravagant grace. But here's my point. When I pledged myself to my wife, you ready for this, guys? You know what she did in response? She grabbed the microphone and she sang a love song back to me. Whoa, I still remember that moment. I was a mess. She grabbed that microphone and with her voice declared her love and affection for me. And then she pledged to me. And then you know what we did? We exchanged rings. Now here's another metaphor I want you to change. Let's turn in our boarding passes or let's turn in our entry passes to this amusement park called heaven and why don't we see salvation as receiving a ring not a ticket somewhere sometime but a ring that's an invitation into the most intimate relationship known to human beings and a lifestyle where jesus is now calling the shots and we say like ruth did right what did ruth say hey wherever you go i'm going 
Uh, I'm forsaking all to follow you. Uh, whatever it takes, which is why Jesus said, you really, you want to get in on this? Pick up your cross, that instrument of death, I want you to follow me. He's not saying that, that following him is going to cost us our lives, but he is saying this, it just might. So are you willing to follow me in light of that? And can I just challenge us today? The cure for what the church needs in America is a radical, passionate, genuine, all-in, complete surrender, embrace to this amazing invitation to follow Jesus. That's what we need. And anything, anything short of that is a, is a cheap grace, cheap gospel. The idea that somehow you're going to, uh, the other stuff's optional, I'm just telling you it's not part of the package. That, that, uh, that conception of the gospel is not the gospel. It cheapens the gospel. And so let's not cheapen the gospel. If I said, Marion, uh, you know, I love you, you, you know, say, I t- tell the guy, say, you know, if you choose X, Y, and Z and you pledge yourself to this woman, you know, say I do. I do. And I turn to the bride, hey, do you, blah, 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 and I give her all the, and she says, I'll think about it. Um, I mean, you know, we did, we're not having a wedding. Or, you know what, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Then don't be standing here at the altar. Because that's not what marriage is about. In the same way, if there's not a willingness on our part to at least say yes. You know, I'll, I'll share one other thing. Most men, now ladies that are married, this comes as no surprise to you, but for any young man here that's maybe thinking about getting married someday, I want to put you at rest. There's not been one guy that's ever stood at this altar and pledged himself to his wife that even had the remotest idea about what was going to be involved and whether he was up for the challenge. In other words, nobody, I've never seen one woman who marries Jesus at the altar. And many times it doesn't take very long for you to, for that bubble to get popped and you realize, I thought I was marrying Jesus incarnate. No, just a normal guy trying to figure it out, all right? So that's good news. Sometimes ladies are going, I'm waiting for the right one. The problem is the right one in their mind is Jesus, and he is not getting married and never will be in the way that we think. So got to lower your expectations a little bit. Um, but here's the situation. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was madly in love with that woman. And Jesus was the center of our relationship. And you know what? I was willing to figure it out and to do whatever it took to figure it out. And you know what? When I messed up, she was there with extravagant grace to heal me and to help me. But here's the other thing. She didn't know what it meant to be a bride. She was trusting, putting her love and trust in me to lead her, which I realize now, looking back, is a huge thing. Here's how this spills out with our relationship with God. When you say yes to the Lord, do we have this figured out? Do we know where he's going to take us? No. Do we have all this figured out how to be the perfect bride of Christ? Are you kidding me? No. In fact, we're messed up. We're wounded. We're hurt. We're addicted. We're full of pain. And we don't know how to do this. We don't feel very beautiful. We feel ugly most of the time. We feel like we're letting him down most of the time. But check this out. This is why it's covenant. And this is why it's not a ticket to the amusement park. It's a ring. It's a, it's a covenant because he says, I'm never going to quit on you. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm never going to stop loving you. And you know what he wants from us? The same thing. He just wants us to say, Lord, I, I've made horrific mistakes, failures, sin. God, help me. But I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. I'm not only going to give you part of me. I'm going to give you all of me. All of me. 
because Jesus has given all of him to all of us. Are you with me? That's what it means to be converted. And I wonder sometimes if we're experiencing such a tiny bit of the life of God because the level of our surrender is so shallow. Have you ever tried to water your plants when there's a knot in the hose or a kink in the hose? You got the thing turned all the way up and this little trickle's coming out. I wonder if that's how many of us experience salvation. Because you know what? We still got our hose in a big knot. Still got, we're still holding on to the hose. We're not so sure we want to let it all go. All right? We got a kink in the hose. Here's what I feel like God's going to do today. Number one, there are some of you, and we, we prayed for a number of people this morning. I'm believing we're coming into a big move of God, lots of people getting saved. In fact, we had a prophetic word uh, this week over our church, over Mary and I, but over Living Stones, um, and, and I'll share later tonight about the specifics of that. But um, hundreds of people, a specific number actually, hundreds of people that, that were broken, lost, far from God, felt unwanted, displaced, that are going to come to know Jesus uh, over the course of this year. I'm excited about that. I'm praying that and praying for that. Amen. Um, and, uh, and we all, and, here, and how's that going to happen, by the way? It's going to happen because we all are rolling up our sleeves and going with Jesus on mission and loving people and inviting people and caring for people. But here's the other thing I want to do. We're just going to sing, and if you need to get up and leave that quietly, please feel free to do that. But here's the deal. This is just a time for fresh surrender and to say, Jesus, I'm dropping my net, and I'm all in. In other words, I want you to picture yourself being, being wedded with Christ. You know, I was talking with Ryan Johnson this morning, and uh, Ryan is being trained as a chaplain. He came up to me after the message. He said, Pastor, the priest that oversees me has a wedding band on his hand. And I asked the priest, why do you have a wedding band? And the priest said this, because I am married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a Catholic conception of what that looks like. But you know what? It is a Protestant understanding that all of us should be married in the depths of our heart and covenant with Jesus. All of us given to all of him. And that's what he's asking. So this is a, this is a moment right here before the Lord, wherever you're at, just to simply say, God, I'm surrendering to you. I'm all in. When Jesus said, come and follow, will you make covenant with me? Then our response is, I do, I am, I will, whatever it is. Count me in, take me. I don't know where we're going, but I'm in for the ride and help me. And it's just a chance to make sure that you're a disciple, not a Christian, not an easy believer, not a check the blank, not a fill out the card, not not that any of those things are wrong, but you're a disciple and you're all in, all right? Hop to your feet. I want our worship team to come up. The worship team's gonna lead us in a... uh, song of praise and surrender right now. If you need prayer, if, you're, if you want to give your life to Jesus, join us down here. If you did not come to Christ that way, I, the way I preached it today, I want you to make sure that you truly know what you're, what you're getting into here. And if you need just fresh surrender, it's always great to come and say, man, I just need to get my heart clean. I need to drop my nets. I need to, to get rid of some junk in my life. I, some of you have got some doors the Lord's showing me. You got some doors that you've just closed off, and the Lord's inviting you to open the door and let him come in. You got some hidden areas in your life where Jesus wants to say, come on, let me in, let me in. Some of you have some shameful areas, broken areas, uh, whatever. Let's let Jesus have complete control of our lives, every area. Let's let the extravagant grace of God come rushing in, all right?
Let's worship him. And if you need prayer, come on down. We want to minister to you.